Well, we are in the middle of vacation season here in Minnesota. And through the convenience of the internet and social media, for me, because I'm old, it's uh, Facebook, um, I've been able to sort of see and keep track of kind of a lot of stuff that you guys are doing this summer, which has been awesome, whether it's been um, longer trips across country or even across the world, or whether it's just a short trip somewhere in Minnesota, or maybe it's just Dairy Queen or McDonald's, whatever it's been. Um, it's been a season that's just a little bit different than the rest of the year, right? And I don't know about you, but um, when I get done with a vacation, uh, like we recently had uh, a road trip to Texas, um, I'm usually asked a question that I'm guessing you are asked too by family and friends. It goes something like this, um, how did it go, right? How was vacation, Ben? And, and when you're asked that question, you kind of have a couple options. Um, you can respond like um, my teenagers do when I ask them questions, like, good, how was the day? Good. How was camp? Good, right? And not really dig into all the details, or depending on the mood that you're in, when someone asks you the question about vacation, you can tell them how it really went and how it really was and give them some details, which is nice, right? And so what I've found about vacation over my lifetime is that every single vacation has its ups and has its downs. I have never had a vacation that was absolutely perfect in every instance, in every conversation, in every moment, has there ever been a perfect vacation. So take our trip to Texas as an example. Um, We were able to have safe travels to Texas and back the The vehicle worked the entire time. That's good. I got to spend an entire week, Carrie and I did, with our kids because they had no place to go. That was awesome. Again, I don't know if they'd think the same thing, but I thought it was pretty awesome to spend time with them. Um, We got to visit a whole bunch of uh, cool places. Um, We went to the Alamo and the the Riverwalk in San Antonio. Um, On the 4th of July, we went to a presidential library, which pretty sure I was the only one that enjoyed that. But anyway, it was fun. Um, Let's see. We went to the stockyards in Fort Worth, which was kind of a cowboy culture. Got to see that a little bit. And then, and then, and then. The best part of it all, Magnolia Farms in Waco, Texas. Can I have an amen for that one, right? Ooh, Magnolia Farms, the best place on earth, no doubt. But, you know, that's one side of the story because there's another part of vacation that I could tell you about um, that has an entirely different feel to it. Like, we went to Texas in the summer. How, how smart is that? It was hot, like sweaty hot, like two shirts a day hot, right? It was, that wasn't fun. Um, sometimes as we were driving in the car, it felt like we would never get there, and we spent all the time in the car. Um, we were going to go to fireworks on the 4th of July in the town where we were staying, and the time for fireworks publicized on the Internet was different than when they actually shot them off. So as we were approaching, everyone else was leaving, because they had already shot off all the fireworks. Um, I heard more than once in the car, um, are we going to have turkey sandwiches again for lunch? Like, we're only having turkey sandwiches. 
that wasn't fun. Um, the cruise control went out on the way home. Did I mention it was Texas in the summer? It was, it was hot. Like I said, every journey, every trip, every vacation has its ups and its downs. And I think that connects with our first fill-in for today, that every journey will have bumps along the way. Every journey has bumps along the way. And whether that's your summer vacation or maybe more applicable to all of us in this room, whether that's just the journey of life, every journey has bumps along the way. Every single person in this room, if I were to ask you to tell your story, when you told your life story, there would be Magnolia Farm moments in your life where things were awesome and all was right with the world and things couldn't get any better than this. If we could just, you know, put this in a, in a glass and, and keep this moment, that would be awesome. And then there's other moments of life that I'll call the having turkey sandwiches again moments of life where things are just not good at all. And it seems like things are being piled on and you feel like you are just at the end of your rope. And some of us have more bumps than other people. And I don't know exactly why all that is. God does. I don't. But the truth is, and maybe something you just need to hear today, every journey has bumps along the way. Every life has struggles and challenges. Every single person in this room has had some good days and has had some bad days. But what we want to talk about today, what our text for today in Nehemiah 12 points us to is an emotion that all of us can have every single day, even in the midst of the challenges and struggles of life. It's this this emotion, this feeling that can be in our heart and will penetrate and permeate the difficulties of life and can make a huge difference for us. It's here on the screen. It's, It's thankful or thankfulness. Do you understand how powerful the feeling of thankful is and what a difference it can make? So today, there's two things that I want to bring out from Nehemiah chapter 12. Both of them have to do with thankful. It's, where does it come from? And how do I get more of it? Thankful. Where does it come from? And how do I get more of it? Because, man, I want to feel it. So we're at the very tail end of this series on a a man in the Old Testament named Nehemiah. And uh, I realize that if this is your first time with us, or if you haven't been here for a while, that there's um, a lot to the story of Nehemiah that you may not be aware of. So I'd like to just give a really, really quick recap. Nehemiah was a man who lived in the 400s BC, so about 24, 2500 years ago. And he was tasked with leading a building project, leading a construction project. He was tasked with building or rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem in the the country of Israel. And so as we've gone through this um, journey, we've seen that there's this amazing thing that happened. Through Nehemiah's leadership, through the, the group's total effort, and through 
more than anything, God's guidance, they were able to finish that wall in what would be considered a miraculous amount of time. 52 days and the entire wall around Jerusalem was rebuilt. Absolutely amazing. Today's text, we're going to be looking at kind of the dedication or the celebration of the wall around Jerusalem. But here's what you and I also know if you've been with us throughout this series. That that celebration wasn't without bumps along the way. For instance, we had an entire message that uh, centered around this event where there were some enemies around Jerusalem named Sanballat and Tobiah. Maybe you remember those names. And they threatened to kill anyone who would try to build the wall. And so along the way, people were threatened with murder. We, we took a week and we looked at the infighting that the Israelites had. Not enemies outside, like sin within and how their infighting almost derailed the entire building project. In chapter 11, which is in between today's text and last week's text, you can read it for yourself, there's this uh, very interesting thing that happened. So they, they had the entire wall around Jerusalem built, but there was a little problem. No one wanted to move there. And here's why. Because they had their homes in the burbs and the farms and where they grew up. They didn't want to move to Jerusalem, which not only would be a different type of life, but also would be more of a focal point for danger and enemies and things. So they actually had to cast lots or to do a lottery system to find 10% of the people, one out of 10, who would move to Jerusalem. So the walls are being dedicated and you have these people in their brand new homes. They're like, man, I don't want to even be here. My point is there are Magnolia Farm moments and there's turkey sandwiches for lunch again moments in all of our lives. And that was true for the people at the time of the wall dedication as well. So where did thankful come from? Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites, and that were a word for kind of the, the pastor type people, were sought out from where they lived outside of Jerusalem and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. And so they're, they're kind of getting the guest list together. Like everyone knows, you can't have a party without a pastor. Like that's the first person you think about to invite to your party is the pastor. Things haven't changed so much in 2,400 years. So they invite the pastor to the party. Verse 28, they invite some other people. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nedophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. This doesn't really have a lot to do with the point of the message, but it's kind of interesting to think about how um, th those who are gifted with the uh, ability to play music kind of created little towns outside of Jerusalem, probably to work on their craft and such. And so the musicians were called in to the party as well, which as we know, wasn't necessarily a party like you think of a party, but was a celebration of what God had done among them. Next verse. When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Last week, uh, Pastor Matt did a great job of 
teaching us about repentance and how important that is. And this purification process, which was like a symbolic washing, was the only right way to come into a celebration where you're going to be in God's presence, is to acknowledge their sin and to purify themselves knowing that purification only truly comes through forgiveness from God. So they went through this ritual as they came into the presence of God. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall, and I, Nehemiah, also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. So there's a whole bunch of verses in between there and our next verse. I kind of wanted just to describe what happened next without reading all the verses. Um, Up on the screen, you're going to see a map. Um, This is what the historians uh, are pretty sure the wall that Nehemiah built would have looked like around Jerusalem. Um, Probably smaller than what you first had thought. I'm guessing, at least for me, um, before I had a chance to study this way back when, it just seemed seemed, uh, smaller than I would have thought. But as these two choirs came for the celebration, here's what happened. Way on the left side of the picture is the south end of the wall. And there was one choir that was led by the priest named Ezra. And he marches his choir up and they go along the east wall. The wall was wide enough so that choirs and even hundreds of people could walk on it. They march up the east wall on the right side. And as they're walking and as they're marching, they're singing and making music. And then there's a second choir that chapter 12 tells us was led by Nehemiah. And that choir goes up that same south entrance and goes up the left side or the west wall. And they're marching and they're singing and they're making music as well, which As I'm studying this and thinking about what was going on, um, I think any attempt to describe the atmosphere with words is probably going to fall short. But if you could just think about it for a moment, like we are people who are inundated with music all of the time. And most of the time, it's a good thing. We have MP3 players and iPods and record players are coming back, you know, all that type of stuff, right? Like we get music anywhere and everywhere. Stereo sound is something that, We've grown up with. Think if you were a person in the middle of the city and you've got a choir on the right and a choir on the left and they're singing and making music. I mean, talk about a celebration. Like I said, words limp, but this was not only an awesome day, it was very well designed to share the celebratory nature of what God had done. Let's skip ahead to verse 40. It goes like this. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. And I I wanted to camp out on this verse for a second, just a quick second, to kind of help you understand the words that Nehemiah is using, because words are important. Notice when he had the chance to describe the choirs, it wasn't the choirs that marched on the wall or the choirs that sang beautiful music or the choirs that sang a song, when he had a chance to describe it, the way that he would best describe the central aspect of what they were doing was this. It was the choir and the choirs that gave thanks. What they were doing up on the wall, what they were doing with their singing wasn't just singing. Have you ever sung at church and all it was was singing and not thanksgiving? 
I'm guilty of it sometimes. What do I need to say next when I go back up there, you know? This was singing that was filled with thanksgiving. And you know, these are just normal people who are filled with thanksgiving. I would bet that if we actually knew who the choir members were, I can guarantee you that they would understand that every journey has bumps along the way. That made up of this choir were were fathers who were having a hard time putting food on the table for their family. In fact, I know that to be the case because they just had gone through a horrible drought. This choir was made up of of husbands and wives who were struggling in their marriages. This choir was made up of parents who were struggling with parenting and farmers who were struggling with farming. And because medical technology is nowhere, nowhere near back then what it is today, I can almost guarantee you without without having a verse to point to, that almost every single person in that choir had had a loved one taken away from them in death. And what they would say was way too soon, way too young. And the reason why I bring this up is because sometimes we read about people in the Bible and we don't just, we don't really think they're just characters on a page, but these are people who understood that there were bumps along the way. And yet, as they come together, they were acquires that gave thanks to God. That's what they were all about. In fact, I think verse 43, my, my favorite verse of the whole chapter, tells us a little bit more about it. Nehemiah writes this, And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. I, I love how Nehemiah writes that. It's not like the, the sound of singing could be heard far away or the sound of music could be heard far away. He sees in their singing and in their music, not heartless, disconnected music. He calls it that which it was. Heartfelt, mind-connected Rejoicing. And again, look at those yellow words. I don't know if I was tasked with writing this, how I would have written it. But I'll tell you this, my mind in daily life would have gone in a different direction. I would have written maybe something like, because they're rejoicing because God had helped them build the wall. They're rejoicing because God had given them a victory over Sanballat and Tobiah. They were rejoicing because God allowed the famine to cease and now there was food. But Nehemiah writes something that I really think is at the heart of where thankfulness comes from. It absolutely is. That God had given them great joy. They were rejoicing because God didn't give them a wall, because God didn't give them food. They were rejoicing because God gave them something better than those things. He gave them joy. And in this verse, in this segment, in this phrase, I think we see the heart of thankful joy. It does not have to do, first and foremost, with what is happening in your life. 
Thankful joy has to do with, what, with a relationship with God. Because God's the one who gives it. Our second fill-in for today says as much. It says, thankful joy comes from God, not from circumstances. Thankful joy comes from God, not from circumstances. Now, at this point, as I was writing my message and thinking about this verse, I felt like I needed to sort of take an aside and acknowledge something. And so I want to be really clear for a moment. Some of you right now or within the last year or more, um, you've been going through some hardships in your life that quite honestly, um, I haven't probably ever felt or had to endure as great a hardship in my life ever. And I can't totally relate in this point of my life to what you're going through. I just want to say that. I, I want to say that if we ask some of you to come up here and to tell your story, that many of us would be blown away by the difficulties and the challenges that you've endured in your life, that you've had to face. And I don't want to stand up here as a, a pastor guy that, has no idea about reality. You know, he's the pastor that thinks everything is, you know, lollipops and gumdrops. <laughs> That's not the case. Pastors are real people. We go through the same struggles that you do. I understand life, and I see hardship, and I've had turkey sandwiches for lunch too much too. <laughs> so let's just get that out there. This isn't easy to be thankful and happy with some of the things that maybe we're enduring out here as we sit here in this room. But here's what you also need to hear. That no matter what the hardship is or what the heartbreak is, it does not need to control your heart or your life, and with the relationship with God in your life, you and I have been given the means and the power to find thankful joy even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. It is there for us, and God gives it. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43. But you're struggling getting there. Maybe. It's interesting, um, this past week, um, the devotion book that Carrie and I are reading for our morning, morning devotions together sort of uh, had perfect application in one of the devotions that I wanted to, to share with you um, this morning. Um, so the author of the book is a woman who um, said that she had a horrible relationship with her dad growing up. And the reason why it was so horrible is because she had no relationship with her dad because when she was quite young, um, her dad just kind of packed up, got up, and left the entire family. And the author's really transparent with the emotions that she has gone through uh, throughout her life. And she stated as such that she's not using that event as an excuse, but just to be really honest with the reader— that that event in her life has caused her a lot of heartache 
and a lot of disappointment and a lot of sadness, even at times bordering on depression. A number of years ago, she was looking out her window as an adult now, and uh, it was snowing outside, and she lives in the north, and she's always loved snow and icicles. She says that on the side of her house, she was staring at some beautiful icicles that were hanging there, and um, all of a sudden, she got this memory from her childhood that she had long ago forgotten about. Does that ever happen to you? Like just something comes to your mind that you'd forgotten about? So what had happened is she grew up in Florida. And so not much snow and icicles, right? But she had always wanted to see some. And one night she remembers as a kid that the weatherman said that it was going to be below freezing overnight. Problem is there was no precipitation uh, forecasted. The next morning she woke up and she looked out at her backyard and all the trees in the backyard were covered with these gleaming, beautiful icicles. And the weird thing is, no other yard had icicles. And let me share her words because they're better than mine. She was the only house on the block with this grand winter display because she was the only girl whose daddy intentionally put out the sprinklers the night before it froze. And here's her takeaway. Because that's a cute story. It's touching. Here's her takeaway. That the new memory in her heart and mind did not solve all of her problems and all of her hurts from the past. That's much more complicated. takes a lot more time. And maybe she won't ever totally solve those. But you know what it did do? Here's her words. It gave her a new place to park her mind. Because up until that point, the only place for her mind to be parked was on the heartache and the difficulty and the hardship and the hurt. But now, now she had a brand new place to park her mind and her thoughts. And before you think that's just like some good words from a Christian author, and they are good words, let me tell you, that's biblical. Um, There's a pastor named Paul in the first century, Christian pastor, and he wrote a, a letter to Philippians. And at the core of the book is like how to be joyful, how to be happy, how to be thankful. And one of the key moments in his letter, he writes this. It's from Philippians chapter four. He writes, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, you know, whatever is good in your life, Magnolia Farms, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we're just supposed to ignorantly forget everything else. No, we can't do that. There's bumps along every journey. What we can do is park our minds somewhere else. We can train our thoughts to go to icicles instead of abandonment. Every day we can work to park our minds somewhere else. And so uh, our next fill-in goes like this. Thankfulness has more to do with where you park your mind than where you park your car. And what I'm trying to get at there 
is mindset versus circumstances. We think if we just had a bigger home to park our, gar- our car into, right, circumstances, that things will be different. We'll be more thankful. Yeah, maybe for a short amount of time. But you know this doesn't work. You know people that have more than you. But would you call them happy? You know people who have less than you. But man, I wish I was a part of that family. They have so much fun. They have so much joy. It's because joy and thankfulness is a mindset. It's not about circumstances, necessarily. There needs to be some motivation for it, right? I mean, how do I get my mind in the, the right place? Well, I think far too often, we miss the blessings, don't we? We miss the little things. Like, most of us, if have someone we love sitting next to us, or infusion, care about us, it's a blessing. That breath, a blessing. This day, a blessing. A closet with clothes, even if it's not filled with clothes. Most of you, it's filled with clothes. But even with clothes, blessing. And blessing and blessing and blessing. And even if you're someone that's like, and I don't think this person exists in this room, but as I went through that list, they're like, nope, don't got it. Nope, 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 nope. Let me share with you some words from the prophet Habakkuk. Um, I chose these words because I just like saying Habakkuk. Um, no. The perfect, perfect thanksgiving words. Um, the context around these words is that the, the people of Israel were facing a real difficult time. There was uh, a famine or a drought. Um, there were enemies that were ready to, to conquer them. It seems like a broken record with the Israelites, doesn't it? And Habakkuk needed to remind them of that which to be joyful about. And here's what he wrote. He wrote, Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, there, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, that, that's a bad day. That's a bad day. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my protector. Yeah. In God, my preserver. Yeah. In God, my creator. Yeah. But he points out he's God, his savior. This journey in Nehemiah is all about something broken that was fixed. A broken wall fixed. You know, I break things, but I don't fix them very well. Um, Anyone who knows me, like you usually get calls from me probably because I need help, right, Aaron? More than once, yeah. This past week, uh, we're having trouble with um, stereo in the uh, in our family room, and it was weird because when you press the remote, the vol the volume up button, the volume would go up. That's not the weird part. When you press the volume down button, the volume would go up. 
it's just driving me nuts. Because I had to get up and touch the console in order for it to, you know, big, you know. I know, first world problems, I know. So I, I'm, I'm looking on YouTube, and I'm reading things. I'm, I'm calling, you know, the helpline and all that stuff from the, the manufacturer. And lo and behold, yesterday, it worked. And there wasn't a lot of people to, to see me, but I will tell you, I celebrated, and there was a fist pump, and like, I felt like, man, this is awesome. I fixed something, right? And not all of you may be surprised when you fix something, but there's joy in fixing things, right? There's joy in fixing things. That's why the people in Jerusalem were so excited. The wall was fixed. The glory of the Lord had been restored. The Jerusalem had a little bit of its glory back. The wall was fixed. You and I, sometimes we just need to repent. Because we spend so many days being depressed about our problems, which I get it, we've talked about that, they're real. And we forget that we have a God who fixes things. And above it all, he fixed our relationship with him. You have a God who fixes things, who rebuilds things, who fixed you. And for some of you, this is brand new news, and I'm telling you, it's the best message there ever was, that there is a Savior who forgives you and wants to give you, give you a home in heaven. For some of us, we've heard it a long time, but I'm going to tell you that if thankful is hard to come by, you've forgotten. And you need to return to that same Savior who has given you that which you need the most. He fixes things. And by Jesus' death and resurrection, he has fixed us. It's a building project. Jesus did it. He made us new, not perfect until heaven, but in God's eyes when he sees us, he sees Christ's perfection instead of our sin. So here's, here's the takeaway. Here's your application. Last fill-in, count your blessings, not your problems. You know, some of us, um, this isn't that hard. For others of us, you know, we're just wired to be pessimistic. We're the, the glass half empty type of people. And I, I know you're in here. I know who you are. You know, we've talked. But this is something that some of us need to work on a little bit. Some of us need to work really hard on it. But we need to be daily counting blessings, not your problems. So how does that work? Well, I don't know. You could write them down in a journal. I think that's a good idea because it's good to look back. You could use some sort of app or, you know, Microsoft Word. Does anyone still use that? I don't know. Use your computer. You can find a buddy that you share your blessings with, email back and forth every night or every week or whatever. I don't know. But this is a discipline of a follower of Christ because we so quickly forget the blessings that he gives us. And thankful is not just something that God wants for you. It's something that he deserves. Fact. As we close, Psalm 69 says this. I, the writer, will praise God's name in song and glorify him how? With thanksgiving. 
And this thanks, I love this, this will please God more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. And like, I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of things that will please me more than an ox and horns and hooves, you know. You got to understand context here. These are the sacrifices that would, people would bring. And when they brought them, they were like, most people would have thought that this is what God desires the most. It's not. What he desired the most was hearts, the thankful spirit, and appreciation for all that he's done. My friends, by God's grace, you have that. And when you forget, return to what he's done. He makes broken things better. He fixes broken things. 